When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe podcast sponsored by Odyssey. He is George Bremer. I am Ryan Hickey. George, the final week of training camp is here. Putting the kind of the, the finishing touches on Grand Park. And then we will finally start to kind of move towards the Colts facility and get that much closer to the regular season week number one, starting a few more Sundays to go. Can you see the light, George, at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, yeah, it's a dog days now all of a sudden. I mean, you could see uh, it's getting to that point where even the players, I think, are ready to to go back and sleep in their own beds. And, you know, they've been out here for about a month now. Uh, Two more practices. So. Uh, it's almost done. It's it's about to wrap up, but this is the grind. This is where you kind of see, you know, they, they were running wind sprints at the end of practice today, and it's that time of year now where you kind of got it. And, and, the, and the crowds have finally, you know, they've been huge crowds every day, and it's I think that gives them a lot of energy. But school's finally back in, and and the crowds are starting to taper off. So it's it, the weather was gorgeous. I guess there's that. You know, you had that going for it. Uh, there, you got to have something, something for sure, as we do wind down here, Colts training camp. But when we talk about at least light at the end of the tunnel, sure, you know, that's for the players in training camp kind of ending this grind, this monotonous grind. But also, too, maybe, maybe the end, the light at the end of the tunnel for right now, what has been a big mystery, and that is Darius Leonard. Big talking point at Tuesday's practice after it was over is Frank Wright kind of giving an update on the possible status and a possible return for obviously all pro linebacker Shaquille Leonard. We don't know exactly right when it's going to, when he's going to be able to play, when he's going to even be able to practice. Frank Reich was saying on Tuesday that right now there's there's no set date to return from practice. Really the only thing they're shooting for right now is to remove him off the pup list. And that's even just to be able to practice. There's still no kind of guaranteed set date of week one or week two or week three. I don't know about you, George. Well, first, let me get your take because you're there at practice every single day. Obviously, Darius Leonard is there. He's not practicing, but he's very involved physically. How does he look? How are his spirits uh, so far at practice? Yeah, he looks good out there. You know, he's out there every day messing around with the linebackers, usually before they're they're stretching. Uh, he'll throw balls to him during different drills and things like that. He can't obviously participate in practice, so he's not running any drills. But he's around the coaches. He's around the players. He's out here with the fans. He'll go out and sign autographs. Uh, you know, he seems to be in, in good spirits and he's the kind of guy that usually uh, if, if there's something that's really nagging him, you know it, you know. So I, I think that all that's positive. My understanding right now is they're waiting on a nerve. And with that, you just you never know. I mean, you go back to, to Peyton Manning's situation uh, about a decade ago now, uh, you know, and it, it was just going to come when it came. And, you know, one day he could throw again. And I think it's going to be the. I don't think it's as serious with with Darius it, with Shaquille. It's it's more of a it's just getting strength into that that calf and into that that ankle area so that he can. I think Zaire Franklin said it best earlier in camp. They want him to get right so they don't have to get him right anymore. That you know, just get him back all the way back, and so that when he's back, you know he's here and he can be himself. 
anybody who watched the Colts last year knows he wasn't the entire year. You know, he was playing on that ankle and, and he had to kind of change the way he played. And he may have to do that early in the year this year, too. And to your point about what Frank Reich was discussing, they want to get him out there and get him on the field, get him and even if it's just limited reps, you know, because they know there's going to be a progress here. He hasn't done anything since the spring. But you look at how quickly Mike Strawn has got up and and running and you feel like, you know, Shaquille's the kind of guy who will probably do that, too. Uh, but I think they're being conservative, and they're going to find out. Not going on pup means he wouldn't have to miss the first four games of the regular season. That's the big clerical piece there. That's about the only really clarity that we have at this point. And even going back to last week, you had Frank Reich saying and admitting, like we just said, even when he does return, whatever that is, he's not going to be a hundred percent, and he hasn't done anything football related with the Colts since you know week eighteen in Jacksonville last year. So he's missed all the off season. He's still rehabbing, still getting back. Um, and to your point, I actually. I like the Colts being conservative, George, with his health and kind of holding him back here for two reasons. Number one, obviously, look, you mentioned last year, right? He was playing with that injury uh, on the ankle all year long. It still really didn't limit him, or even if it did, we barely noticed in terms of the statue and his production because he was still flying all over the field and maybe outside of, you know, trying to run back an interception for a touchdown. That was really where you kind of saw him be limited the most. So this is a guy who is very skilled and, and can play through pain and still play at a very high level even when his body's not at 100%. So even if he's out there week two, week three at 80, 85%, that's still even better than probably what we saw last year for Shaquille Leonard. But also number two here, we've talked about this before on a previous podcast, and that is the start to the cold season, right? That for those first seven games where you play divisional opponents, when you start, you know, against the Texans and you play in Jacksonville against the Jaguars, you know, the Colts had their bugaboos uh, opening games and they obviously had, you know, their bugaboos trying to win in Jacksonville of late. But for where the Colts are right now, we are both high in, them in terms of being a very talented team. You should not need, you don't need Shaquille Leonard on the field to win those games. So I get week one, there's always a sense of urgency to get him on the field when the season starts. I like the Colts taking their time because, again, if this team is legit, which we think they are, if they are the team to be in the AFC South, which we both think they are, you should go into Houston, go into Jacksonville without Shaquille Leonard and have no problem winning either game. The game I look at, George, I don't know about you, week three. Home opener, September 25th, Chiefs and Patrick Holmes come to town. That's a game where if I'm Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, I know you won't admit it because you never overlook an opponent and want to disrespect an opponent. That is the date I have circled for Shaquille Lennon return, where I say, you know, as long as he's on the field by week three, all is well. I would say definitely because, you know, that the power of that Chiefs offense, but even week four to me is the one that's like the drop dead day. You. That's Tennessee. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that game's going to be a showdown game. It, the division games really count twice because they're tiebreakers and, and they have all sorts of importance on them. I think you absolutely would want him on the field. Obviously, you want him on the field in week one, but I think week four to me is the one where you feel like you need him. You, you got to get him out there. You're going to need all hands on deck to stop Derrick Henry. Uh, and so, you know, that's going to be a tough enough chore without him. I think you can bring him back and, and strengthen that run defense and strengthen the defense as a whole, but I think that's where week three also weeks in works in nicely. Cause if you can get him back, then uh, you could certainly use him against the chiefs. You'd feel like you'd, you'd want to be full strength there too, but he'd also have a week under his belt before you come out and play. What's going to be a huge divisional game in the first month of the season. Right. And it sounds, you know, funny to say, or almost like a disrespectful way, but not meant for that for sure. But it's like, almost like you can knock the rush off against the chiefs and use that as like almost preseason game, but you're hundred percent right. Having five divisional opponents in the first seven games, we've talked about the Colts' struggles in the division. They got swept last year by the Titans. That is a team you still circle to beat. You're right. Week four, 
as long as he's out there, all is well. But that's why, at least for me, when you hear Frank Reich on Tuesday talk about, you know, there's still no timeline. Basically, the only certainty or, or goal they have is to keep him off the pup list. As long as you're kind of working him in by week three, week four, that is going to be, you know, for me, at least as a, you know, for the Colts going forward for their terms of success, that's going to be a big win for sure. And look, I mean, also early on, George here, I know we both said the first podcast, we're not going to take too much out of preseason. We're not going to overreact. There has been a theme, though, that we are allowed to observe and bring up here, and that is the struggles of the run defense, right? We saw it both games, uh, both preseason games so far. It was Buffalo or whether it was just, you know, Detroit a few days ago on Saturday. This run defense has really struggled. And we talk about, you know, what it's going to help the run defense. One of those is going to be the presence of Shaquille Leonard plugging those holes and just flying around like the maniac that he is. It's going to be important, but I don't think there should be right now at least too much of a concern when it comes to the Colts getting gashed in the run game. What are your thoughts so far, being at practice every day, kind of seeing the Colts so far, the two preseason games, what's your concern level or panic meter, we'll say, 1 through 10 out of this Colts rush defense? Yeah, you know, you want to keep an eye on it. I mean, for one thing, you know the Gus Bradley scheme is is not going to be as focused on on run stopping as Matt Eberflus was. So it was something that was on the radar to begin with, and then you see it kind of come out and be slow. You're going to definitely pay a little more attention to it. I think a lot of it right now is they've had young interior defensive linemen in there, guys like Curtis Brooks and Eric Johnson, rookies, you know. Even R.J. McIntosh was hurt on Saturday and didn't go against the Lions. Uh, so, you know, it'd be much more concerning if it was happening with Grover Sewer and DeForest Buckner in there. But even Buckner today said 174 yards is unacceptable no matter when. You, you, preseason or not, that's not good enough. And, it you know, they're going to have to address that. And I think it's one of the things you're going to look for, and we'll get into this later in the week, but I think it's one of the things you're going to look for on Saturday against Tampa Bay. Can they get a little more stout, especially with the starters in there for likely a half? Because it's it's not anywhere near where it needs to be. And you go back to that Detroit game, I think there were 17-play scoring drive, a 20-play scoring drive, and a lot of that was due to the fact that they could run at will. And so they their passing numbers were really not that good. They completed a lot of passes, but I think they were like 4.7 yards per attempt. It was a really inefficient passing day for them. But you run for 174 yards, you win the game. Again, it's preseason, and you're not going to, you know, you're not running through the streets screaming about this, but I think it's absolutely something that, that they understand has got to improve. And, you know, some of it's just a learning process for these young guys. You got a lot of, to me, that's one of the areas as we start looking at the 53 man roster, that's one of the areas where you start thinking, are you looking at a waiver claim here? You know, do you need to bring a veteran in from somewhere else on the interior of that line? I think they're good on the edge. Tyquan Lewis can move inside a little bit. Dio Dangbo can move inside a little bit. But do you need, you know, for Taylor Stallworth the last couple of years, do you need that guy? Uh, you got to go find him after cuts. It's one of the areas to watch, and I think the run defense is where that's showing up right now. Absolutely, and it's definitely concerning that so far through the first two preseason games, the opening drive for the other team's offense, whether it's Buffalo, Case Keenum, where they saw David Blau and the Lions. Again, not that, especially in, in preseason game number two, not a very few Colts defensive starters on the field, but Buffalo you saw a ton. Both times, same pattern. Now, at the end of the day, Colts defense held and you know held them to a field goal both times, but both offenses, Buffalo and Detroit, had the road with this Colts defense right up and down the field. Now, and, and to your point, too, the, the good news is for the Colts, at least, is that if you are going to play 
a bend but don't break defense, kind of similar to what you know Matty Bufus's basically whole scheme was. We'll give you chunks. We're not going to give up touchdowns. You live with that, especially when you look at Matt Ryan's offense. You would think they'll be more consistent and more productive in 2022 than in previous years, especially last year. Carson Wentz and some of his you know up and down roller coaster uh, play for sure. But it's like you're you're right. They have to. There has to be definitely a uh, commitment to stop of the run because also we've seen. I, I know it's a passing league in this and you know in the NFL and you're going against especially in the AFC West so many talented quarterbacks, but you're only making their job easier if they're handing the ball off for five yards a pop every time. You don't know whether it's going to be a run or a pass. It's the running game is definitely you know uh, moving away a less of a trend. But when you have Derrick Henry twice a year and when you have you know other offenses or prolific quarterbacks, you do even though they've improved on the defensive end and they've improved in the secondary, you do need to make the run defense a big priority for this defense this year. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I think this is going to be a team that that is bend but don't break. Uh, I think the keys, I, I think, for the defense are going to be the red zone, which has been good. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as they've given up the runs, they they have held people to, to field goals. Uh, lots of credit there to Nick Cross. Twice now he's ended drives with, with breakups in the end zone. Uh, you see a rookie doing that, you know, there's a reason he's number one on depth chart, I guess. Uh, but it, that red zone defense has got, and I, I think that's something they struggled with early last year. You know, they were giving up way too many touchdowns inside the 20 and they were just a bend and break defense at that point. You can't do that. And the other big thing is, is takeaways. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's what this defense is going to live on. Take the long way. When you get in the red zone, they're going to stiffen. They're going to make you kick three points instead of six. And they're going to force turnovers and they're going to put you in bad situations. So sacks would be the next thing, you know, just something that makes that that off schedule for the offense that that, that moves the chains in the wrong direction. Um, that I, I don't think they're going to be a dominant. I don't think that's what they're designed to be. I don't think they're going to be a dominant shutdown defense where you're struggling to get a yard against them. But those are the areas they've got to excel in. And along with that, the run game is a big part of it because, uh, even if even if you're one of the better teams in the red zone and, and you show consistently you can shut teams down there, if you're letting them get there all the time, statistics are going to tell me the more chances a team has, eventually they're going to punch it in. And one guy I've been super impressed with so far in training camp has been Nick Cross, but it's like almost like a double-edged sword because he has been flying around, been a ball hockey, said, making some good plays in the red zone, but also too, making so many tackles that it's like, wow, this guy's all over the field. But at the same time, it's like, well, do you really want your safety, you know, 10 yards down the field, making four, five, six tackles a game? He's been impressive. It almost at the same time, it's like, oh, this is not exactly the sign you want to see. Or you really don't want to see as much Nick Cross so far as we've seen, especially in these two preseason games. It's going to be interesting to see. I think so, because he is kind of that box guy. So I think he's going to be more involved than, than say, Julian Blackman is in terms of tackles, just because he's he's closer to the ball. Uh, and I think he is going to be at times an extra linebacker out there. And with his athleticism and, and his clear toughness, I think he's a good fit for that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much Rodney McLeod mixes in when things actually count. I know right now they want to give Cross all the looks they can for obvious reasons. You want to get him out there and, and, and get him used to the NFL in a live setting. Uh, and he's responded well every time. So the more the more he does, the more chances he's going to get. That's how it works, right? Like you keep making plays, they're going to keep putting you out there. Uh, but at some point, you know, Leonard's going to take some of those tackles. Okereke is going to take some of those tackles. I think Zaire Franklin's quietly had a really good camp here, uh, you know, and, and is a guy that I think is going to be an, an impact on defense as well as special teams uh, as the year rolls on. But I think Nick Cross is a special guy, and I think you see why they traded up for him. I know it was the third round, but they went back up to get him, and I think they they felt like 
Uh, he's only 20 years old, but they felt like this is a guy who could could make an impact immediately. And so far, he hasn't done anything to make you think otherwise. Super athletic. I mean, I am a, a Penn State grad. I'm wearing a Penn State shirt actually right now. And that was a guy a few years ago. Penn State was hot on the trail for, almost was able to land him. Did go to Maryland. Kind of was that was one of those like kind of the one that got away. So it's nice a few years later to now be able to root for the guy I thought I was going to be rooting for in a blue uniform a few years ago. Just a few few years delayed, but still no problem at all. But to put a bow on this on this conversation, George, like you mentioned, there should be a little bit of concern with the run defense for sure. But like I said, one of the ways that will get cleaned up and be better is with the presence of big number 53 in the middle of the field. And at least on Tuesday, Frank Reich is saying there's still, you know, some uncertainty. He's obviously still not practicing. They're going to try their best to keep him off the pup list. But we are both in agreement, I would say, week three, week four, the match. Really, that should be kind of the target date compared to just week one in Houston. If he needs two games off by more, please give him as much time as he needs. But like I said, that Chiefs game, home opener week three, or especially week four when the Titans come to town, you need your defensive captain, that voice, that maniac, that heart and soul of the defense. You need it on the field flying around. Yeah, well, the, and I think we can't understate that, the, the, the leader aspect of it. I mean, there's this is the guy who brings the juice on defense. When you have a day like today where it's kind of a, a sluggish day and there's a grind and people are just sort of like, you know, what am I doing out here? It's time to go home to Indianapolis. Shaq's the guy that usually gets out there and, and, and fires things up. And, you know, that'll happen during the season, too. It happens at the end of training camp, but it'll happen, you know, you're off to a slow start. It's 53 who's usually going to do something to fire that defense up and get them going. You're going to miss him. There's no question about it. Whatever time he's out, you're going to notice the void out there. And, you know, I, I do think the key here, and, and that's what Frank Reich was saying, is getting him back, but getting him back 100% when he is back. Right, not having him in and out of the lineup, you know, rushing him back, having him play, you know, half a game or get re-injured because he's back too quickly. I'm with you. Take it safe. Take, you know, take it slow right now. Make sure when he is back, you're only, you know, you're going to allow him to be unleashed and truly play his game flying around. All right, so cut day, or at least the Colts got cut down to 80 players on Tuesday. A week from Tuesday will be the final cut, the 53-man roster cutdowns. One position that's going to be very of note is going to be the wide receiver position. A lot of questions, but also a lot of depth there. Two guys on the bubble had big impressions in uh, preseason game number two. We'll talk about the return of Mike Strawn and Desmond Patton's career game when the Blue Horseshoe returns. Ryan Hickey, George Bremer, back with you here on the Blue Horseshoe podcast. Preseason game number two in the books. And George, obviously a big position. We've all been talking about this offseason so far and all throughout training camp has been the wide receiver position. We know there are some locks on this roster. Michael Pittman, right? Here's a shock. Going to make the roster. Alec Pierce, same thing. But now when you get to the back end of the roster, who's going to make it? Who's not? We saw some some big guys make some big time plays and, and try to make their case uh, for making this Colts roster. Desmond Patton, by far the best game any Colts receiver has had um, so far in uh, in the preseason. Five catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown in Saturday's preseason loss to the Lions. Michael Strong, though, after coming off the pup list last week, made his triumphant return and impressed, really picked up where he, he left off from last preseason. Three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown for him as well. George, as we are just about roughly a week away from the final cutdown, I look at the Colts, if they're going to keep six receivers, I think it's going to really be three guys battling for two spots here. It's going to be Padman, it's going to be Strong, and it's going to be Kiki uh, QT. 
do you kind of do you would you agree with that first of all that's kind of those three guys fighting the last two spots or are there some people maybe that should be included in this conversation as well no i think that's the group i mean like you said you got four guys who pretty much are in uh, those top four guys have, have made it ash and Dolan didn't even play in the game on saturday i thought that was really telling you know there were only two uh, receivers who sat out, and it was Pittman and Doolin. I think it tells you a lot about what they think about him right now. I think Campbell and Pierce, it was mostly about just getting some some run on their legs a little bit. Pierce, because he's a rookie, and Campbell, obviously, with, with his injury history, hasn't been out there as much as you'd like a guy at this point in his career, so just get him a few more snaps. Um, but after that, it, it was wide open for the longest time. I think it's good for Kiki QT that he got back out there this week. He had that hamstring injury against Buffalo, so he's back out there. He can compete a little bit. Uh, I'm sure he's going to play against the Bucks, and you'll get another chance to look at him. But huge day for Desmond Patman. I'm not sure if we had had this talk a week ago if I would have put him on the list. You know what I mean? He was struggling a little bit in camp. It was kind of a slow start for him. Uh, he made that one big play out in Buffalo, so he was still on the radar. But then to go out there and have 100 yards – catch that 50-yard touchdown pass. Uh, you know, he, he put himself firmly in the conversation now. And Mike Strawn, I don't know how much more impressive you can be. You practice for three days. You go out there. It looks like you've been out at camp the entire summer. Uh, it did not look like he had lost a step, had a, a real nice, smooth touchdown catch. Uh, I feel like both those guys helped their case, and I think they're leading candidates now, and I would agree. I think QT is probably the, the one other guy you might put in that rotation. And it's interesting, too, watching Padman, especially on Saturday against the Lions. I don't want to get too wrapped up in the moment, but he was a guy that I like a lot in part because he kind of filled so many different roles and is so versatile when it just comes to the wide receiver position. Like he took an underneath route for a first down and almost kind of looked like, you know, Paris Campbell just throw the ball underneath and have him just run, you know, run past uh, a bunch of defenders and looking fast. Like I said, he made a really tough catch. I believe it was right on the next play on a fake screen where he goes up, catches the ball, gets hit, comes down almost like, you know, a Michael Pittman esque tough catch. He's acrobatic. Like I said, he had the nice 50 yard touchdown. Like he is a guy that, when you look at kind of, especially, you know, back end of the uh, roster receivers, you do look for, you know, versatility when it comes to, uh, can they play special teams? Can they do a kickoff or, or punt coverage, stuff like that. But I think it's also important to kind of have a guy that could fit in numerous roles where if Michael Pimmons, let's say, banged up for a series or two, he can kind of step into his role. Or if Paris Campbell, you know, needs a blow or, you know, and needs a few plays off, you can kind of have him step into the slot. Patman's kind of those guy that one of those guys, especially on Saturday, look like he can fill numerous roles which you know we talk about versatility when you're trying to make a 53 man roster that's one of the biggest keys outside of just availability i really like that from pat uh patman i thought really showed kind of you know a big reason why he should be included uh definitely in this conversation and why he should be included on the roster when you go back to last christmas you know he makes a touchdown catch against arizona really probably the game-winning play up there when, when you think about clinching that that victory uh, and that was a day a lot of guys were out a lot of guys who don't normally play had to get out there and play so he's done it uh, before in the regular season, he's done it in a big situation. And then you go out and you have a preseason game like that. Uh, I think it really just cements in coaches' minds and, and in the quarterback's minds. This is a guy we can count on. This is a guy we can trust. And, and that's what you're trying to do this time of year. I mean, that's the number one thing is try to make your teammates and your coaches understand you're going to be there for them. And I thought my Des Patman did a really good job of that. Uh, now what I think would be interesting is can you get it from the upper guys? You know, you haven't had a lot of production and been out there long. We'll talk about that later in the week, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch that this Saturday. 
And, you know, you know, competition always does, you know, bring out the best in everyone. Like I said, it's nice to see some of the, the bottom roster guys. Like I said, right, push some of the guys up top, like Paris Campbell and Alec Pierce, and just say, hey, you know, send, your, uh, send a reminder. I'm here and I'm making plays. Now it's time for, you know, for you guys to step up and make some plays as well. Speaking of making plays, Mike Strawn, again, after missing almost, what, the entire offseason so far, missing a few weeks of training camp, comes in off the pup list uh, on Monday, plays in Saturday's game, looks really good, really strong, making some nice plays. Again, we we, we kind of joked, but he picked up right where he left off from last training camp. But he came in, looked strong, provided a big target for Sam Ellinger, high point to the ball. Like This is a guy who, again, is looking really good and looking like he can fulfill a role for the Colts, especially when you get down to the red zone. There's that big body receiver that can go up and get a ball from Matt Ryan if you need you know six. Well, and I wonder too with him, you know, Frank Reich said when, when Drew Ogletree went down that Ogletree had a, a significant role in this offense and they were going to have to change some things up and Jelani Woods is going to have to come on a little bit faster than maybe he was going to have to prior to that. But is Mike Schron a guy who can take some of those routes? He's not a tight end, obviously, but he's got a similar build. He's, he's got a similar skill set. You know, is he a guy who can come in and, and maybe take some of those plays, take some of that that load, you know, and, and fill some of that hole? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. He's got a lot that he's still got to prove. He's another guy who's got to show that he can do it on special teams. He's working really hard with Bubba Ventrone right now to, to make sure that he can be active on game day. Uh, but, you know, there, there's so much to like about his game, his size. Uh, he, he's had some inconsistencies out here in practice. You would absolutely expect that after the layoff. He had a drop on Tuesday, for instance, that wasn't – I don't think you'd want to see that in a game. Uh, but he, he looked – smooth he looked natural against Detroit uh definitely didn't look like he'd been missing for three months which was the case prior to that um I, I don't know what more he could have done really on on Saturday to to impress you and now moving forward it, it really will be interesting to see they're going to have to change this offense a bit from whatever was planned not that Drew Ogletree was a, a marquee guy but he was going to have a significant role and now you've got to find you know where's that going to go and and I wonder if Mike Strawn's not part of that answer and two, we talked about it a few weeks ago, George, on I believe it was our first podcast where we were talking about, you know, the loss of Drew Ogletree. We we're talking about even when it comes to the questions of the receivers, well, maybe this could be a year where you have, you know, a tight end room filled with just redwood trees, like just massive human beings where it's like, okay, you know what? If maybe some of the receivers are struggling to get off press coverage and struggling to get open, there's a tight end group that's just so massive that's going to be almost impossible for defense to slow down. Maybe they could take some of the uh, the load and the heat off the receivers. Now, a few weeks later, you know, Ogletree goes down out for the year. And now you're seeing a guy like Mike Strawn where, you know, if Jelani Woods is still slow to, you know, kind of get used to this offense and even though Ogletree was drafted later than Woods, he was still above the depth chart and, and moving along faster. You wonder behind Moelle Cox, even Kylan Granson, who's a smaller tight end, you wonder now, if, okay, maybe the, the tight end, you know, like I said, with Ogletree missing, maybe that changes the way Frank Reich thinks and operates come the red zone where now it's like, you know what? Yeah, actually, we're going to go back to the receivers. We're going to rely on a guy like Mike Strawn here, kind of really provide some size for us down low. Whereas otherwise, maybe that would have been, you know, Ogletree's role per se. So that's another feather in Strawn's cap. Now it's just about can you hope last year he learned his lesson about really what it takes to not only just make the roster, now what it takes to get on the field. That you mentioned he's working with Bubba, Bubba Ventro and trying to get back, you know, more on the field, special team wise. I know it's tough. He's still, you know, just a week, barely a week back uh, from his injury. You really do hope that he learned last year what it actually takes to not just, you know, suit up on game day, but now what it takes to actually get on the field and start making some impressions. Yeah, you know, got to be active, right? It's one thing to be up there, but right. if you're inactive on, on Sunday, 
you're not obviously going to make an impact on the team. And I think that's something that hopefully, you know, he he's understanding now what's being asked of him. You know, he's a year older. He's a year wiser. Uh, I think you see it already in his game has grown, you know, from a year ago. There, there were, I think there were things that he did Saturday against Detroit that were much smoother than they were a year ago. You know, like he's, he's thinking less, he's playing more. Uh, I think that's what you want to see that kind of progressing with him. And now the question is, like you said, can he go out there and can he prove to these coaches that he's a guy who's indispensable? You have to have him up on game day and, and we'll see that'll play itself out. One guy we know that will be active for every game. And then a total surprise. We got some official news on Tuesday, and that is that Matt Pryor will be the starting left tackle for the Colts come week number one. Not a huge surprise, George. You know, that was kind of slated from the beginning. Um, Matt Pryor's really done for the most part nothing to lose a job, especially to a rookie for sure. How is Matt Pryor, you know, in your, you know, uh, observations at training camp every day, how has he progressed from day one now to we're almost at the end of training camp? Yeah, he's a guy who's been stacking days together, and I think that's what you wanted to see from him. You know, he's gotten better from day one to now this was day 14 here on Tuesday, and and that's what you're looking for from all the players. But I think in him in particular, you're starting to see him be consistent. You know, he's getting beat less. He's not getting beat by the same move twice. He's not getting beat the same way every day. Those are the things that you're looking for. Uh, I think he's kind of solidified himself. Obviously, he's solidified himself in, in taking that left tackle job. But I also want to know, it's not the end for Bernard Ryman. They really like him. They like what they've seen from him so long. This has more to do with Matt Pryor winning the job than than anything that Bernard Ryman didn't do. And I think right now he's in that role as the sixth offensive lineman. He's that extra guy who comes in when they load up one side of the line. Uh, and I think you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, if there are injuries. Do you move some guys around? Do you find a way to get him on the field? I think they're really happy with the way that competition played out. I think both guys exceeded expectations. Uh, Ryman's a guy who got uh, go back and watch the first snap he played against Buffalo to the last snap he played against Detroit. And he's grown so much so quickly out there. Uh, I think they're feeling really good about that situation. You got a, a guy you feel good as a solid starter and you got a guy behind him who you feel good about. And now Dennis Kelly might be coming back this week. There's a chance he'll be back on the field before the week's out. Uh, all of a sudden that tech tackle spot, you're feeling pretty good about, about what you've got there. I'm glad you brought up Ryman's progress too, because you're right. It's not like on paper, right? It seems pretty clear. Matt Pryor, you know, very experienced uh, tackle, you know, should have the upper hand and should win this battle over, you know, a rookie left tackle. But to your point, right? Like Bernard Ryman has done a, a lot really well. The Colts were high in him when they drafted him uh, in the first place. So it's nice to see that Matt Pryor, even though, you know, again, it is expected. This is not exactly a shocking revelation here that he's starting. But to your point, it's nice that he is. Not only, you know, getting better and using, you know, that experience of going against Ngakwe every single day in training camp and just trying to improve himself, but it's also he went out there, took control of the position. And now, like you said, as much confidence as you could realistically have in what was a backup last year, now becoming your starting left tackle. I think the Colts have that in the sense that prior shown you growth and he's at least shown you confidence in training camp. We could trust this guy behind Matt Ryan to at least be competent. Which I think that when you have, you know, all pros and guys like Quentin Nelson and pro bowlers like, you know, Ryan Kelly, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, like you don't have to have five pro bowl or all pro guys on the line in order to have the best offensive line uh, in the NFL. Just to, to have a guy who is competent alongside next to a guy like Quentin Nelson, that's really all you can ask for. And to your point, that's what uh, Pryor has shown so far in training camp. It's really good to see. Yeah, all they need there is is an average starter. Somebody who's going to go out there and, and not – not get Matt Ryan killed, for lack of a better word. Right. You know, uh, and that Matt Pryor's been that that guy, and I think he's been a real solid 
guy for him. And I think the fact that he and Quentin Nelson have bonded, I think we talked about that that first time out too. Uh, you know, the fact that he and Quentin Nelson have bonded and, and do have that tight relationship, that's what it's all about on the offensive line, that cohesion, the chemistry between the five guys. And they're, they're building that. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting how it plays out. Now, you know, I think that's another thing that, that you've got another preseason game to judge by it before they go to Houston uh, that you want to keep seeing that. Does, does the arrow keep pointing up? You know, now that Matt Pryor's been more or less awarded the job with Frank Reich basically saying, yeah, he's going to be the starter week one. Does he keep improving? Does he keep working? Is he, is he still as hungry as he was when he was in competition? You know, keep an eye on that. I think from everything we've seen from him so far, the, the answer to that will probably be yes. And like there's still two and a half weeks to go to, you know, continue to build that continuity. You're going to play with the starters on Saturday in the preseason finale as well. So it's nice to kind of, you know, also get out ahead of it and, you know, not a last second, you know, three days before the opener. Uh, we're going to go with this guy and kind of pick out of a hat. That is, you know, definitely good to see for sure. All right. When we return here on the Blue Horseshoe podcast. The Titans are clearly the team the Colts are chasing in the division. Is this the Colts division to lose? One very prominent name, former Colts GM, former great Colts GM you are all familiar with. Thinks that answer is no. We'll discuss if he's right when the Blue Horseshoe returns. Ryan Hickey, George Bremer, back with you here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. All right, so now as you start to look ahead towards the season, the team the Colts are chasing are the, are the Tennessee Titans, right? That's the, the uh, recent division winner. That's a team that's always recently now been in the thorn in the cold side, getting swept last year. They played them twice now in the first seven games. We will know, George, very quickly how this team does stack up to the, the biggest competitor standing in their way uh, of an AFC South title. We are both believers and we are both predicting the Colts will win the division this year. But I found it very interesting because Bill Polian was at Colts practice last week when the Lions were in town as part of Sirius XM, and he was talking with The Athletic, and he was basically saying that even though he is high in the Colts, even though he thinks this is a playoff team, he is still saying the AFC South runs through Tennessee. It's still the Titans division to lose. He's not saying the Colts right now are a better team or doesn't believe right now the Colts are a better team than the Titans. Would you agree with Bill Pauline's assessment? No, uh, you know, and I all due respect to the guy who, who's the greatest GM in this franchise's history and one of the greatest GMs in, in the history of this league. I mean, you look at what he did in his career. It's hard to replicate. Uh, took an expansion team to an NFC championship game, for goodness sakes. Uh, you know, he knows a lot of football and I understand where he's coming from. I, I think there's definitely an element of Tennessee's done it now two years running. They're, they're three and one against the Colts in the last two years. Uh, they are the team to be. I understand from that aspect. I still think the loss of A.J. Brown is is a massive situation for that team. I'm not underrating anything else they've got. I think Derrick Henry is still one of the biggest weapons out there. I think they've got a really opportunistic defense. It's probably a little underrated. Uh, but A.J. Brown, I think, was such a, a big part, at least when they played Indianapolis. It felt like for years the Colts had the Titans number. And that tide turned when A.J. Brown started making big plays consistency, consistently against the Colts. To me, that that's what I need to see from Tennessee. Maybe week three or four, I'll have a different opinion. But right now, I feel like that loss of A.J. Brown is, is swings things in the Colts' favor. I would agree. I'm with you. I, I know the Titans have won it. So, and like you mentioned, the Colts are one in three in the last four. So it's not like this has been a, a you know a rivalry per se that has been even or even owned by the Colts. So I get where Bill Pulling is this. You're saying from me, you, you kind of got to you know beat the champs in order to beat the champs. But I'm with you 100%. Like, the loss of A.J. Brown. Also, too, what that signals to the rest of the team. 
Like this is a team when you build your entire roster and success on offense around a running back. And we know the short shelf life of running back, even of someone of Derrick Henry's build and stature, who's built like a Greek God, right? Mm -hmm. You still have a very small window to capitalize on that. And even though Derrick Henry missed half the year last year, that the Titans were still the number one seed, right? They won 12 games. So you figure, okay, you're coming back. AJ Brown's going to be there. You know, Derrick Henry should be healthy and ready to go. You should just be ready to reload instead of offloading a guy because you don't want to pay him for whatever reason. I don't really get it. I think AJ Brown and he's done plenty of, you know, had plenty of big games against the Colts. So maybe we're a little biased there, but no reason not to pay him so far. You know, he's looked like an all pro anytime he played Indy. But it's like, I, I wonder also, too, what the message and what the feel of the Titans are because you can't feel good about any, you know, being a player in that locker room when you think, okay, we have a chance and, and you know, we should be aiming for Super Bowl. But here are front offices, you know, shipping out one of the best young receivers in the game. And I know you got Robert Woods, in, you know, in return, and he's going to be now kind of sliding into that role a little bit, but still very different. And we've also seen, too, George, we know how to kind of crack the Titans code. Now, the Colts haven't been able to do it recently, but you slow down Derrick Henry, you, you limit him and don't have him, you know, run for 120, 150 yards a game. More times than not, Ryan Tannehill is not going to win you a game. And that's something the Colts have done at, at, in times very well in containing Derrick Henry. Other times have not done, you know, a very good job. But that is going to be the key for sure. And I'm with you. You take away the best receiver, you're able to limit, especially Derrick Henry, which, look, I don't know about you. You can make the argument maybe he's fresher, missing eight games last year. I still think there's going to be some rust as well. So you get him twice early on. Maybe he's still trying to work his way back. I think the Colts, you know, are favored to have the better roster and have the advantage, especially playing twice early on in the year over this Titans team. Yeah, I just, I look at, especially the two offenses, I just think the Colts can do a lot more. Not that the receiving core here doesn't have issues. We've talked about that a lot already, and there's definitely things that can be addressed there. But Jonathan Taylor is the one guy who can be in that conversation. Well, probably Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb are the two guys who can be in that conversation with Derrick Henry as the best running back in the league. Uh, you're going to run the ball as well as anybody. I think Michael Pittman's going to have a huge year. I mean, I keep throwing the pro the projection up and up. I was saying 100 catches. Now I might be at 120. I think he's <laughs> going to have a massive season here, and then he's going to be the guy who needs to be paid next year in that A.J. Brown role. Uh, but I just don't I, – I think this Colts offense can do a lot more. If I'm a defense coordinator and I'm preparing for these two teams, I'm worried about a lot more of the things the Colts do offensively than I am what Tennessee does. And I think the defenses are comparable, too. I, I think he's got a little bit better defense. I think Tennessee's defense doesn't get as much credit as it should. I think Mike Vrabel's done an absolutely amazing job over there in terms of the whole roster, but especially that whole defense just plays with his mentality. It doesn't really matter. They don't necessarily have big names outside of maybe Kevin Byard, who is really underrated uh, at that safety spot. Uh, the rest of that group is not necessarily going to be Pro Bowl-type guys. But maybe Harold Landry's getting into that conversation now as well. Uh, but and we'll see if Bud Dupree's healthy. That helps him a lot too. But they Jefferson played really had well. a good year last year too. He's a monster. I definitely have to mention him. You know <laughs> that defense is. I, people talk about Henry all the time. But that defense, I think, is why they were able to withstand his loss last year. And I think that's that's a real factor. They're going to be a problem. But I still think at the end of the day, the Colts defense can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And I think the Colts offense has more weapons than Tennessee's does. And even look, I get last year the team's a little bit different. But you look at what, on paper, we both believe was a better Titans team last year than going into this year. You had, I believe it was week three, 
Carson Wentz playing uh, on no ankles. Somehow, I don't even know how he's able to walk on the field. Colts lost, but for the most part, they kept it close. I get, okay, you know, you know, close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, sure. But, you know, they were at least more competitive than I anticipated, George, you know, going into that game uh, in week number three in Tennessee. And then Halloween weekend, this game you should have won, frankly. You know, Carson Wentz throws a, a left-handed interception. To his credit, drives him down and tie the game. And in overtime, stares down uh, – I forget which receiver was, but I think there was – I think half the Titans' defense was over in the area where he was looking, and it was an easy pick game over. So you think, especially with Matt Ryan providing more balance, where you mentioned Jonathan Taylor being kind of one of the few guys in the NFL that can match the production Derrick Henry has. But if let's just say the Titans' defense, you mentioned the front seven especially, fierce, strong, aggressive. John Taylor doesn't have a, a great day. I feel a lot more confident in Matt Ryan being able to have success in a pass game with maybe less talented, less experienced receivers than Ryan Tannehill having you know a, a better day and having to rely on his arm to win a game. That's where it comes down to to me. I mean, you look at those two quarterbacks, I think the Colts have the edge. And that, I mean, what do you look at most matchups? Quarterbacks and the head coaches. And again, I think Vrabel's done a terrific job, but I don't know if he makes up enough of, of the difference between Tannehill and Ryan. You know, I think Frank Reich's a really good head coach as well. And so, uh, and he's done a really good job here. I don't know how many guys would go through five different quarterbacks or four down this going into his fifth. And basically, you should have made the playoffs in three of those years. There's, there aren't a lot of head coaches who would have a team in that kind of situation. So I think it's going to be a really good race. I think it's going to be a tight race all year long. I think it's interesting they play so so fast out of the gate. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Colts' bugaboo the last few years has been those slow starts. And if you do that this year, you're going to put yourself in a big hole in the division. I mean, like you just said, five of the first seven games are against AFC South opponents. You can't afford to be one and six or, or two and five this year like you have been in the past. That ain't going to cut it. You know, you're going to have to come out and, and be at least four and three. But I also think, you know, it was interesting. We were kind of talking about this morning, you know, what we want to do to get ready for the show. I think you could be five and two, and if both losses are to the Titans, you might be in worse shape than if you're four and three and you split with the Titans. I think it's, you know, it's not necessarily the record. It's who you beat. I love that. That's a great point um, because, yeah, the, as we know, those division games are so important and the Colts have struggled, you know, in division, whether it's, again, it's getting swept by the Titans, whether it's losing games in Jacksonville, like you can't afford for nationally. When you look at the, just the, the conference or the divisions of the AFC South, most people say that's one of the weakest divisions in the NFL. And especially when you look at this year, the, in the AFC that's loaded, I would say by far out of the four divisions in the AFC, I would say the AFC South is the weakest out of the four so you have to cap, you have to take advantage. If the Colts are a good team like we believe they are, you have to come out out of the gate and take advantage of the schedule. I'm with you. I'd rather go four and three and have, you know, spoil the Titans, maybe even sweep the Titans if you want to get crazy and, you know, lose a game to the Jaguars compared to going, like I said, five and two, but both losses are to the arch rival in Tennessee. I like the last thing we'll say here, George, just quick on the schedule. I kind of like the division setup and five out of the first seven in part because. We've seen some slow starts in recent years, you know, one and five in 2018. Last year was one and four as well. Like, if the Colts are legit, we will know within the first seven weeks. Like, I, I, maybe this is me just trying to will it into discussion or will it into existence. I'm sick of these slow starts. Like, I really am. I'm tired of, you know, having the Colts having to dig themselves out of a hole. We've seen that they've been able to do so, like two improbable comebacks to put themselves in 2018 in the playoffs and last year in a position to make the playoffs. But it's like you also see the toll at the end of the year. This team is exhausted. You know, when you have to dig so much out of that hole, by the time you get to December and January, you're out of gas. This mm -hmm. has to be the year they do themselves a favor. Like I said, even four and three. Well, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a great record, 
that's given themselves so much room to breathe and so much room for error going forward where now you can actually give yourself a chance to not only just make the playoffs, make some noise because you're not, you know, swimming upstream frantically just to, you know, kind of save your season. Yep. I think they've got to be above 500. You get after that seventh game against Tennessee, you've got to be above 500. And if you are, then everything's still on the table for you. And it's, it's really crazy how important those first seven weeks are. We're probably going to talk about that a lot through those first seven weeks. Uh, it's, it's critical. I mean, because of the way it's set up, you've got to win. Look, this year, in all honesty, you got to sweep Jacksonville, you got to sweep Houston, and you got to at least split with Tennessee. If you do that, you're going to put yourself in position to do everything you want to do in the playoffs. If you fall short of that again, like you said, you're going to end up having to win games late in the year, you know, expend energy that maybe other teams aren't having to do. And I mean, look, Cincinnati got hot last year at the end of the year. They, I, they were about four and three last year at, at that point. They were around that mark, you know, and then things got hot in November, December. Those teams that get hot in November, December, a lot of it has to do with how well did you play in September and October so that you are in position to do that, but also how healthy are you? And those two things have not gone Indianapolis's way. You know, they're banged up late in the year and they've got to make up for that. I mean, that Arizona game last year was ridiculous. I, I can't, as, as, as hard as it is to understand how they lost to Jacksonville, it's equally hard to understand how they beat Arizona. I mean, it, it was totally. really a situation that was a total mess. And then, you know, like you talked about these, these one and five, one and four starts, I think they were two and six last year at some point. It was a really bad start. And then all of a sudden you rally and you're back into position and really, you know, you got a chance to win a game in the, of the last two and get the playoffs. It's just, and they were out of gas. I think that's one of the many things that went wrong in that Raiders and, and Jaguar situation, much like the Kansas city game in 2018, where you could just tell the, the tank was empty. They got to that Raiders and Jaguars game. They've been chasing for so long. There was nothing left. You can't do that again. You, it, well, you can, but the result's going to be the same. You're going right. to end up short of your goals. Right. What's the definition of insanity, George, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. You can't expect to get off to a slow start and all of a sudden, like I said, get hot and try to be a Super Bowl contender at the end of the year. When again, you're trying to get out of a one and three, one and four, two and five hole like they've been doing the, the past few years. So very exciting times because we are wrapping up training camp. The third and final preseason game will be this weekend. And George, it looks like early in the service leagues, we will have the starters in there for about a half or so. So while last week it was mostly backups, this week in the final dress rehearsal, as we get closer and closer to final cutdown day, we will have a real offense out there, a real defense, and kind of get the closest thing to what will mimic the regular season, at least for a half on the weekend for sure. So make sure to keep it locked right here on the Blue Horseshoe because we have a lot of storylines we're watching, not just for the game and kind of getting ready for week number one, but some big-time position battles we slowly whittle our way down from 80 players to 53. The final cutdown will be on next Tuesday, and the final real last chance to make an impression the coaching staff will be in that third and final preseason game. So we got a ton of storylines for you to be watching this weekend, whether you're doing a fantasy draft, whether you're just hanging out, you know, enjoying football on a Saturday and a Sunday. Nothing can beat that. So we will be back Friday morning. George Bremer, Ryan Hickey getting you set for the third and final preseason games. We slowly inch our way there. Make sure you check out George on Twitter at GM Bremer. I am there at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Make sure you subscribe and download to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.